When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Week 18 edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. This is Rich Savini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. We've got a lot to talk about this week. I really want to look ahead to the offseason, and we're going to dive into that in the second segment with ESPN draft analyst Mel Kuyper Jr. The Jets are probably going to have two top 10 picks in April, and we'll get the lowdown on the top prospects from Mel. Before we go there, we have to take a look back at Sunday's 28-24 to loss to the Bucks. A tough, tough loss for the Jets. They played their best game for 58 minutes, and that was really something because they were down 10 starters. I mean, look at the offense. Three starting wide receivers were out. Their top two tight ends were out. The starting center was out. And then in the game, Michael Carter and George Fant get hurt. And they go out. Despite a patchwork supporting cast, Zach Wilson played his best game of the year. And here's why. Forget the stats and all that nonsense. It was his best game because, for the first time, he elevated the people around him. He elevated them enough to go toe-to-toe with the best to ever do it. And that's Tom Brady. That's the big picture takeaway. Wilson continued his late-season improvement. I'm not going to call it a late-season surge or anything like that because, let's be real, he's had two touchdown passes in the last four games. That's not surging. That's not starring. But but he's playing better. He's gone four straight games with no interceptions, and that's encouraging. Now, let's get to the controversial play. The fourth and two from the Tampa 7, 217 to play. You guys know the details. Robert Sala decides to go for it. Now, in the moment, I tweeted that I would have kicked the field goal, but I can certainly see why he went for it in that situation. But that's not the story. The story is the play call. A quarterback sneak. Obviously, a bad call. Wilson gets stuffed for no gain. Brady takes over, goes 93 yards, and boom. By the way, that's my tribute to John Madden. Boom, the Bucks win the game. After the game, Sala is furious, saying there was a miscommunication. He said Wilson should have been told to hand off to Braxton Berrios on an end around. Pretty much the exact same play they ran in Houston, except with Elijah Moore. And that one worked. You know, they converted on fourth down. But no, Wilson was given a two-way play, kind of a check with me, the end around, or a quarterback sneak. If he sees an open A-gap at the line of scrimmage, pre-snap, he's instructed to sneak it. And yes, there was an open A-gap, and so he took the sneak. Now, in my opinion, the words quarterback sneak never should have been presented to Wilson. They rarely work on fourth and two. And here's the evidence. According to our crack staff, stats department staff at ESPN, there have been only four quarterback sneaks from under center on fourth and two in the last five years. 
Only four. Three of them failed. Wilson on Sunday. 2019, Josh Allen did not convert. 2017, Jacoby Brissett did not convert. 2017, Carson Palmer did convert. So only one out of four. But the key number there is four. That's why coaches don't call it because it doesn't work. It's a rare call. It's not a smart call. And by the way, Allen Brissett and Palmer are big quarterbacks. They're all 235 pounds or more. Wilson is not that kind of quarterback. Regardless, that should not have been an option in that situation. Now, yes, Wilson could have checked out of the sneak and handed the ball to Berrios, who, by the way, probably would have scored to win the game. But you're asking a lot of a rookie quarterback to make that decision. I got a copy of the end zone view of that play. And yes, the A gap between the center and left guard was open pre-snap. So Wilson did what he was told, but we all saw how it would happen. Vita Vey and William Golston, about 625 pounds combined defensive tackles, they just collapsed the gap. Again, there should have been no option. Uh, what's the takeaway here? You have a rookie quarterback and a rookie offensive coordinator, and uh, they showed some growing pains. They showed some inexperience on that play. Now, why did Mike LaFleur make that call? LaFleur was not available after the game. There's never access to coordinators after the game. Now, on Monday, when coordinators are sometimes made available, LaFleur was not. So I can't get into his head. Mike is a stand-up guy. He's always willing to admit accountability when things go wrong. So I'm sure he'll be forthright. But again, until we speak to him, it's strictly speculation. And it's unfortunate. But that play... And Antonio Brown's crazy leaving-the-field stunt overshadowed a really encouraging performance by the Jets. They nearly took down the champs as a 14-and-a-half-point underdog. In fact, it would have been the biggest home upset in Jets history if they had pulled it off. Still, looking at the big picture, there's some reasons to be encouraged. First, Wilson, his late-season improvement can't be denied. Braxton Berrios has played his way into the Jets' future plans. He's got five touchdowns, returning, receiving, rushing, and they have to re-sign him before he hits free agency in March. He's made himself a lot of money these last few weeks. I wrote this in my Sunday notes. Wilson, Elijah Moore, and Michael Carter, all rookies, have combined for 14 touchdowns, the most in Jets' history for a rookie class, and the second most in the league this year. The Steelers went into Sunday with 16 touchdowns with their rookies, mostly Najee Harris, of course. Now, these young DBs, Hall, Eccles, and Carter, they've had their moments this year. Does anybody miss Bless Austin, by the way? Remember that that was such a big story in the preseason when the Jets cut Bless Austin? The Jets made a good move there by going with these kids. They're developing. They're showing some promising signs. So, yes, the Jets have pieces they need more pieces a lot more they have some big decisions coming up like free agents like i said i'd keep barrios and i'd try to keep foley fatakasi if the price is reasonable now he could fetch about eight million a year on the market so that'll be an interesting call i think they're going to move on from marcus may who's rehabbing his achilles injury they're going to need two starting safeties because i don't think they have two guys on campus who can start Quinnen Williams' contract will be a storyline. He's eligible for a new deal. He's been a good player. He has not been an elite player, 
Knowing the Jets and how they think, I doubt he gets that extension this offseason. I think they'll wait another year. they got to make a decision on Denzel Mims. Now, I know what they say publicly. They always defend him. But actions speak louder than words. And he was benched on Sunday in uniform, no snaps. I think he's a goner. Makai Becton, that's an interesting case. And I don't think the full story has come out yet. I think there's something going on there. I can tell you this. It's a very sensitive subject around the organization. I just don't get the sense that this coaching staff is all in with Becton. There are examples of that going all the way back to Mike LaFleur's comments in the preseason. I don't see the Jets giving up on him because he was Joe Douglas's first pick, and he's too talented when he's in shape and motivated. Could they move him to right tackle if they draft a left tackle? Yeah, I think that's possible. Last week, Sala basically challenged Becton saying he needs to get kick butt in the offseason and come to training camp in great shape. I think they've got two priorities this offseason. Add playmakers on defense, whether it's an edge player or someone in the secondary or a linebacker. They need to add a couple of playmakers, and they need to give Wilson another weapon a two or two on offense because bringing back the current cast is not going to cut it. They've got to add to it and continue Zach Wilson's development. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'd like to welcome in the GOAT when it comes to draft analysis. He's been doing this forever. Uh, he is, of course, Mel Kuyper Jr., ESPN's draft analyst. Mel, thank you so much for taking the time. Great to be with you, Rich. Uh, it's looking forward now to uh, April. It seems like we're now finishing up the regular season, college football with the one game left. And now all talk is about the NFL draft. Yeah, so true. And of course, Jet fans probably have been looking forward to the draft for a few months, considering the way their season has gone. And this is a massive draft for the Jets. Right now, Mel, they have four picks in the top 38. And I know we say this a lot, you know, this is a critical draft for such and such team. But when you look at it from a Jet perspective, how critical is it with that much draft capital? That's huge, especially in this division where Buffalo is now established as a team. New England's now right there with Mac Jones. So New England got right back into the mix. Okay. So now you have two teams that have outstanding young quarterbacks. One has a superstar quarterback in Josh Allen. Mac is a guy who's perfect for what they do in New England with Josh McDaniel. So you think about those two teams, and then you have Miami with Tua. And then you have all the Deshaun Watson talk out there about Miami. So then you have the Jets with Zach Wilson, who's made a lot of strides. He's really come on late in the year. I think these, uh, these, this final stretch of games now for the Jets have shown that Zach can be a really good quarterback in this league. So if you surround him by talent, and obviously uh, this draft should be able to provide that. And some of those young players, Makai Becton, we'll see what his status is moving forward. Can he be an elite left tackle? Um, you know, what happens with Denzel Mims? Uh, you know, all these things, second former second round pick. So the pieces around Zach, I think once they're there, a hope for Jet fans is that, hey, we can compete with Buffalo, New England, and Miami. Because right now, you know, you got to say with Zach, 
Yeah, can you be better than Miami? Yeah. Can you be better than Buffalo? Probably not. Can you be better than New England? Probably. You certainly have a chance there in terms of your quarterback. So you could end up with the second best quarterback in the division if things fall right. And you know, with Josh being young and having the, obviously all that talent and now playing at an elite level, uh, you, to get to that point may be difficult. But at least I think it gives Jet fans hope that, yeah, if uh, Joe Douglas does his job, surrounds his quarterback with the kind of talent he needs, we can be a really good team. You read my mind. I, I want to get into Beckett and Mims in just a little bit. But first, I just want to dive right into uh, sure. the, top, the top prospects in this year's draft. Right now, the Jets have the fourth pick. Unless something screwy happens on Sunday, they'll probably end up with the fourth pick, possibly the seventh pick, also from Seattle. So, if they're picking four, how do you see uh, what could be their options at uh, at four? Well, I think Aiden Hutchinson, defensive end Michigan, and Kayvon Thibodeau, defensive end Oregon, will probably go one, two, unless a quarterback like Kenny Pickett from Pitt uh, gets forced up there. And I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. So you go Hutchinson, Thibodeau, back to back pass rushers, defensive ends. Then you have Evan Neal from Alabama, the elite left tackle. Jacksonville certainly rich and needs an elite left tackle to help out Trevor Lawrence. So uh, you know, that's a positional need area for them. Great players available. Neil fits the position. He should go very high. So Jacksonville would look at Neil. Then you look at who's the fourth best player after those three. Those are my top three, Hutchinson, Thibodeau, Neil. Then you go, who's the fourth best player? Could be Kyle Hamilton, the do-it-all safety from, the, uh, from Notre Dame, who had the knee injury against USC, never played again. Could be Derek Singley Jr., cornerback LSU, who had the injury carryover, lingering early in the year, shut it down. Had a great year with Joe Burrow in that national championship season with Jamar Chase and that great crew of LSU players. Jamison Williams, wide receiver Alabama, would certainly be in that mix as well. Uh, so those are the kind of the guys. You want to get down to George Karlaftis, defensive end Purdue, or maybe a, a guy like N'Kobe Dean, linebacker Georgia, Devin Lloyd, linebacker Utah. Those are some other guys. Drake London, wide receiver USC, would have been there, fractured his ankle October 30th against Arizona, or he would have probably been right up there in the top five, six, seven. But those are some of the names, Rich. But I think Hamilton, Notre Dame, safety, Stingley Jr., cornerback LSU, Jamison Williams, wide receiver Alabama. Those would be the three names I think to keep an eye on the most. Yeah, it's such an intriguing decision. It could come down to like an offense-defense decision for the Jets because you want to surround Zach Williams, uh, Zach Wilson with as many weapons as possible, but we all know their defense is ranked 32nd and has been for most of the year, and so they obviously need defensive help. That would be an intriguing decision, like a Kyle Hamilton. That's pretty high for a safety, though, isn't it, Mel? I mean, I know he's a yeah, little bit Yeah, he's kind of one of those guys, Rich, you can look at as kind of a combo linebacker safety. He's, he's all over the field making plays with his size, his height, uh, his range, his length. Everything about him screams defensive coordinators in today's game would really want him. So that will push him up a little higher. We've had, had safeties go as high as I believe number two overall was the highest we've seen a safety go when Eric Turner went. And so we've seen it before in previous years. When, But this is a, a unique talent, Rich. Uh, he's kind of an X-factor player. He's not a traditional safety. Uh, you know, he's, a, he's a much more of a do-it-all performer uh, who can be front seven, can be back the uh, group in the terms of center field role. So at Stingley Jr., had he played Rich this year to an elite level and been in that lockdown corner that he was when he was getting six picks and 15 pass breakups back in 2019, Derek Stingley Jr. would have been viewed as probably a pick right in that two, three spot. Now you're, you're conservatively saying four fives because you don't know. He, he didn't play great last year. It was COVID year. He wasn't playing great early this year, but he was aggra- had the injury, which he aggravated. 
So you just hope that he can kind of recapture those great moments in that lockdown corner. He looked like he was back as a true freshman, but he hasn't done it for the last two years. You're kind of, it's a kind of a leap of faith on Derek Stingley Jr. The talent wins out and the 2019 performance wins out to the point where we can put it all together, say in the NFL, barring any injury, Derek Stingley Jr. can't be an elite player. So Stingley Jr., Hamilton, I'm going to throw Jamison Williams, wide receiver Alabama in there. Yeah, I mean, this guy takes the top off a of defense like no other. A tremendously competitive player, great enthusiasm for the game, incredibly tough what he did on special teams, uh, you know, in terms of kick returns, gunner, all that. He's a tough kid. He's a competitive kid, came from Ohio State to Alabama, one year transfer portal. You get a top guy. That's what Nick Saban was able to do, kind of save Alabama's offense because without him, uh, it would have been, they would have been in trouble. And they now know John Mechie the third, but Jameson Williams still out there for the performing. So he's been as much of an MVP to college football as any player. And he's certainly deserving Jameson Williams as Rich of being in that discussion. Yeah. He, I've been watching him lately and he, he is very, very intriguing. You put him with Elijah Moore and Corey Davis. And all of a sudden you're talking about a really mm-hmm. good trio. Now it, it educate me on this. Cause I don't watch nearly as much as you do, but how does Williams compare to some of the, the other great Alabama receivers that have come out, uh, the Devontae Smiths, the Jalen Waddles in recent years? Yeah, Calvin Ridley and certainly Julio Jones was the big physically gifted the receiver. His speed is, I think there were seven out of eight games, six out of seven games where he was obviously had the targeting, which he missed half the one game. So he would have been over 50 yards, one catch in every game with 50 plus yards. That's not taking the top off of defense, Rich, just once in a while. That's doing it in every game just about. And now you do have Bryce Young, who's an elite quarterback. I get all that. But to be able to produce a big play like that in just about every game when you're the marked guy, and now even now you saw what he did Saturday without John Mechie III. Georgia's going to have a much better opportunity against Alabama without Mechie III being on the field. We'll see how much Jameson loose is there. But uh, the speed is the big factor. Certainly doesn't have the physicality of a Julio Jones. I think he's certainly where Amari Cooper went. He deserves to go. Different kind of player, though. But uh, I think Jamison Williams is another unique talent. What he did in this one year, you say, well, he's a one-year wonder. He is, okay? He he was at Ohio State. He wasn't getting it done in terms of wasn't getting the production because they had Chris Olave. They had Garrett Wilson, uh, Jackson Smith, and the Jigba, who had an unbelievable Rose Bowl performance. And he knew hey, I'm not going to get the ball here, and I have no chance of playing at the level I was come capable. I go to Alabama, he becomes an elite player right away. So you give him credit for adjusting to a new offense, immediately responding as an elite player and putting up numbers that are unbelievable. So I give the kid a lot of credit. I think he's certainly well-deserving of being the fourth overall pick or the third overall pick in this draft. One guy who really fascinates me, maybe not with the fourth pick, probably a little high for him, but maybe with that second first rounder, which will probably be seven or eight or nine, somewhere in that range, is David Ajobu from the Michigan edge rusher. The Jets, look, every team needs edge rushers. The Jets could probably use another edge rusher. Um, He seems like he's got a lot of upside. He's very twitchy, you know, really good athlete. You know, we saw Quiddy Pay go in the first round last year. Uh, where do you see him going, Ajobu? Commented about him on the Darian Mel show this past Saturday, Rich. I'm, I think he needs another year. I really do. I think another year with really it's a limited football background, late high school, getting on the field, playing football for the first time. Now, this one year, remember, he hadn't done anything until this year. This was his one year at Michigan. He put it all together opposite Aiden Hutchinson, got after the quarterback. The majority of his tackles for losses were sacks. Uh, so you want him to see him a little bit better in the run game. Certainly the explosiveness off the edge, 
uh, is outstanding. The talent, the, the want to is there, a great desire, great aggressiveness, great intensity. They sustains that. Uh, I just think another year would make him instead of a seven to 15 pick or seven to 10 pick, maybe a top one, two, three pick. And I think it would benefit him in terms of coming into the NFL more prepared. He'll improve his pass rush moves, vary them a bit. He'll get coached up and be a much better player. Aiden Hutchinson moves on now. He'll be the main entity there. So I think it would really benefit him to go back. Now you say, well, why would he go back to the top 15 pick? Yeah, he is. But can he be a better NFL player? right away if he goes back and learns more about playing that position and varying those those pass rush moves. Yes, he can. So to me, I would hope he would go back if he does come out, though, Rich, after a great year he had. Now, he was quiet uh, in that game against Georgia, uh, but you, know, you certainly would have liked to see more production there, but they got the ball out quick. They negated Hutchinson and Ojabo. Very smart game plan going in for Monken, the offensive coordinator of Georgia. So I look at, at Ojabo as one of those guys that's a tough decision to make. I would advise him to go back. I don't know what he's going to do, but to say, is he worthy of being in the top five, six, seven, eight? Yes, he is, certainly based on the production, the sack production, and the potential to even get better from what he saw, what we saw this year. Yeah, I know off-ball linebackers usually don't get drafted that high, but man, I was so impressed with Nicobe Dean and uh and Devin Lloyd in their games over the weekend. Um Talk to me about those guys. I mean, we're talking about top half of the first round, right, with those two? We should be. Devin White and certainly Devin Bush, when they came out, Rich, they ran those 4-4-3s. Both of them ran right around 4-4-3 at the combine, based on and also based on the great production that they had. Uh, Bush at Michigan and certainly White at LSU. Uh, now you have Lloyd and you have Nicobe Dean. Nicobe Dean, it's interesting, with all those great defensive players at Georgia, he's the one that they all viewed as the, the unquestioned leader. The guy that set them all up properly, all defensive signals, knew what everybody else was supposed to be doing. He's incredibly intelligent. Probably one of the smartest linebackers, Rich, maybe I've ever I've ever seen coming out into the NFL draft. I mean, he is wow. incredibly intelligent, super bright, articulate, loves the game. And like I said, Devin Lloyd, same thing. Flies around, super versatile. They can do everything you want in terms of coverage, getting after they're getting sacks, they're getting intercepting passes, they're doing it in every way you want a linebacker to do it. They're not one-dimensional players, they're multi-dimensional players. And they both, I have right now Lloyd uh, at eight and Kobe Dean, if you look at it in that uh, anywhere between 10 and 12, and they're both and they're interchangeable, Rich. You could have you could have one day you like Dean a little better, one day you like Lloyd a little better. You know, now when I say you're splitting airs either way, you know, let yeah. me to love one and you don't like the other. It's like when the receivers came out last year with, you know, Chase, Devante Smith and Jalen Waddle. You can put them all in a, in a, in a and, and, you know, and put their names on a, on a piece of paper, put them up and, and, and flip it around and pick one. And you're going right. to do pretty well. And then whoever's picking the third guy is going to do pretty well. Right. So all three turned out to be really good players, outstanding players this year. And I think that's going to be the case with uh, Devin Lloyd and with N'Kobe Dean. I'd like to switch the conversation just to the to the Jets now. Joe Douglas has had two drafts as the general manager, uh, twenty and twenty one drafts. Just to get, just curious to get your take on how those two drafts have looked so far. Well, still to be determined. I think I think the Mims question is 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 viable second round pick. What happened there to go from a guy that showed great promise to being not even able to get on the field at certain times, and we wonder about all that. Uh, I think the, the Mackay Becton, I think Mackay Becton's going to define everything because he's got to be an elite left tackle. And you see what Jedrick Wills, you see Tristan Wirfs, right? You see Andrew Thomas. So that, that was that draft with those four. And then you thought with Becton, now you've got a, a centerpiece of this offense, a key entity on this offense 
with, whether it was Sam Darnold, whether it was with Zach Wilson, whoever it was going to be with, whatever the quarterback situation was, Beckton was going to be an elite left tackle. Can he be that guy? Can Denzel Mims, what's going to happen with Mims? You know, what happens with some of these guys that were drafted this past year? It's too early to tell one of them. So I think the jury's still out, Rich, to answer your question about some of those drafts and how these players, even last year, too early. But I think the Beckton situation and the Mims deal are going to be two that we look at very closely moving forward. Yeah, the Becton thing was so fascinating. I, I personally think, from what I've heard, I think they would have taken Jedrick Wills had he been there. But, of course, Cleveland takes him right before, and so they take Becton over Wirfs. I think they saw Wirfs as a right tackle or a guard, right. and they really mm-hmm. they were really looking for a left tackle, so that's why they went with Becton. But I'm, I'm wondering, I just wanted to, you know, rack your memory for a second. When, when Becton was coming out, we all talked about the size and the immense physical talent were there any rumblings or, or, you know, of course, the weight issue was was yeah. prevalent in the conversation. Uh, were there any rumblings about you know, work ethic or anything of that nature? Not really. No, I, I think that's you know a lot of the things you see when players get into the league, Rich, is revisionist history. People will kind of adapt their evaluation to what's happening when it really wasn't the case back then. So I don't you know, as far as red flags are concerned. Now, Becton was considered a really good pick, a guy who had great promise had shown that uh, there's no reason to believe. Like I said, those guys dropped for a reason. Chetrick Wills, could he be an elite left tackle? You didn't know. Okay. Mm-hmm. Tristan Wirfs, what could he be? Was he a right tackle? Where was he going to fit in in the NFL? You know, you guys say guard, right tackle. Uh, you think about where, where the situation is with Andrew Thomas. He was the first one drafted. It's a left tackle who had some struggles early on, has come on a little bit. So you think about where these guys are. You know, two have settled in very nicely, and I think everybody kind of judges against that. Certainly, with Becton and Thomas were being judged against Wills and Worse last year, at least. Oh, yeah, why would those guys drop a little bit? But there were reasons. But in terms of, of getting back to your thing about Becton, I, that was considered a heck of a pick. Nobody really argued with it. Uh, yeah. I didn't hear anybody show any red flags or any reason to believe he can't be an elite player. Obviously, the weight thing, as you mentioned, Rich, that's something that they, as an organization, you knew how to how to maintain a, a level that would keep him at a at an optimum situation to maximize all that ability. That's the challenge you have with a lot of these players. So again, it's still early in the process, but I think moving forward, when you have a quarterback showing the the ability to maybe be a top five, top ten quarterback in Zach Wilson, uh, yeah, you need to have that. And I'm, I'm talking about it with Jacksonville now, with Trevor Lawrence. Looking at Evan Neal, right? Why? Because you got to have that left tackle. You certainly need a great right tackle as well in this league now. But uh, if you got a young quarterback, you better, uh, you know, obviously protect them. And that's the issue with a lot of these guys. Unless you have elite like Josh Allen's running around, he wasn't protected great this year. But he's able to avoid and shrug off because he's a big, strong, elite athlete. So if you don't have that type of quarterback, you better. Uh, in, in every case, uh, have those that offensive line, particularly the left tackle. So in in the case of of this year with Neal. Uh, in the case of Becton, I don't think. And there's another one this year, too, Rich, that we should get to. There's Charles Cross. Charles Cross, Mississippi State. State. Charles yeah. Cross had an outstanding year. I mean, Sam Williams got him once in the old Miss um, in the Egg Bowl. But, and Sam Williams is a really good player. But overall, I don't think, I don't think he had any sacks really to, to him directly. And mm. this kid was, is a really hard worker. They have great respect for his work ethic. Talking about a guy who really prides himself on preparation in addition to talent. So Charles Cross from Mississippi State, I wouldn't say, I don't think there's much of a gap at all between Evan Neal and, and Charles Cross. So you look at where they are three and 10, but the grade, that's what I say. When you look at the board, you say one guy's a three, one's a 10, but the grade is as close as you can get. All those guys are very similar. And I think it's going to end up where Neal's at three, four and probably crosses at six, seven. 
So the, those two right there are elite. And, and then you get into a Trevor Penning at Northern Iowa. Will he be a tackle guard? Uh, you know, Iquanu from NC State's another one tackle guard. But in terms of the guys you know will be left tackles, Neil, who also played right tackle and guard at Alabama, should be that guy. And I think Charles Cross is a natural left tackle, experienced left tackle with not only elite talent, but great work ethic. Uh, I think uh, Charles Cross can't get lost in the shuffle here. He's an elite player. He's a, a super blue chip prospect, and he's going to go in the top five to seven probably. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm glad you mentioned him. I, I, I actually like Joe Douglas, what he did in this year's draft. I mean, he, you know, we talked about Wilson, of course, but, you know, Michael Carter's had a good year. Uh, Elijah Moore, before he got hurt, was having a really good year. Um, you know, and Elijah Vera Tucker, he's he's pretty much played every snap, except for the one game he missed with COVID. He's been a real solid performer. So the early returns look pretty good on, on the 21 draft for the Jets. Yeah. And I think that's like I say, that's the one year you want to give it obviously time because some guys have either good years or not so good. And we judge them by the first year. And that turns out to go a completely different way. Sometimes they fall off a little bit. Sometimes they, uh, they come on and then they become great players in year two, year three. So it's still early, but I think, like you said, what we've seen so far with both Carter's, well, certainly when you look at Vera Tucker, you kind of thought he would be a great player, hoped he would be a great player uh, very quickly. Elijah Moore, I love coming into the draft. I talk about him a lot. He's shown great promise. So, yeah, I think it, it looks promising. Uh, you go back to Hall, the corner, you go back to Hunter, Braden Mann. You go, there's a lot of guys that are that were brought in via the draft over the year, last few years, that have been guys that could be staples to this this uh, this program, this organization. But it's still really early, Rich. And like I said, for last year, let's let's hope that the progression continues and they don't fall back. They keep improving. And obviously, health of players in the NFL is key to have, whether they achieve the, the so-called greatness they, they have the promise to, to maybe become. But uh, I, I just think this draft, when you put it, if you can stack those drafts and say, okay, two years ago, we got this. Last year, we got this, as you mentioned, that group of players. And they keep developing and they figure out Mims, Rich. I'll ask you right now, what's going to happen with Demzel Mims? You know more about that than anybody. Well, he was in uniform yesterday and didn't get off the bench. He didn't play a single snap. And, uh, you know, I, I, they speak very positively of him publicly, but yet they haven't been playing him and he has not been producing. Uh, Mel, I would be a little surprised if he's on the team next year. I, I think I think they'll look to move him in the offseason. I really do. I, I just don't think this coaching staff has embraced him the way the previous staff did. And so uh, I think um, – Maybe a change of scenery might be in line for yeah for yeah and that, that gets and that gets into the discussion about other receivers. If you say okay, we're going to look at the depth at wide receiver. Who are some of those other guys that you can get in the second, third round? Uh, I think there's going to be an interest. Jalen Tolbert at South Alabama is a name. David Bell at Purdue. Uh, Traylon Burks at Arkansas would probably be a first round pick, but an Alec Pierce at Cincinnati. Uh, could be in that third round mix, a very good player. Saw him. I mean, he had a sky for could have been a touchdown reception early in that game, went through his hands. But 6'3 guy, really good consistency catching the football, uh, excellent player. So there's some other guys beyond. And I think you could have six uh, receivers going to first round. And George Pickens from Georgia came back from that spring knee injury. He's yeah. getting on the field, but he's not what he was. He needs another you know, more time. But next year, he should be where he was prior to the injury. So you really can't forget about George Pickens at Georgia as well as a guy would have been a guaranteed one. Now he's probably more of a second round pick. So six in the first, I would think you say another four in the second. So that's 10 receivers in the first two rounds, Rich, and a lot of other guys that are pretty good as well. So some decent depth at the, at the wide receiver position beyond round one. 
Well, that's good for the Jets because I think they will. I think it, with those first four picks, I think they will end up taking a receiver just to fortify their depth. Well, yeah, Mel, John, I bet you the third's the other one. He got hurt, unfortunately, okay. in the SEC title game. Medical will be important. When can he get back on the field? When can he be back at full strength? Had Mechie not been hurt, he would have been a second-round pick out of Alabama. So, again, that's one that, you know, gets pushed down a bit, but we know what a great player he was when he was healthy. Well, Mel, this has been fascinating. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you. You are the man, and I know we will be seeing a lot of you over the next four months, for sure, on all of the ESPN platforms. This is this is your busy season now, right? It's pretty much you're you're grinding. Uh, it seems like seven days a week for the next few months. It's a lot of fun, Rich. It has. It's been going on since August. It, it, you know, it, basically, when you get to this point in the season, a lot of work has been done, Rich. You know, a lot of the scouting has been done. I may have notes on every player. It's page and a half long. I'm looking at it right now. So again, a lot of the work is done. You tweak it based on the Senior Bowl practices, the All Star games, the combine, but. You pretty have a you pretty much know who you like or who you have questions about now. So yeah, between August and now, a lot of the, I'd say eighty percent of the work's done. Uh, and now we still have twenty percent left. But a lot of obviously a lot of the conversation, the mock drafts. I know uh, you know we'll have a mock. My first mock number one will be out mid January after the juniors declare. So uh, we have five of those leading all the way up till draft day, which is mock five point Rich. So the mock drafts, the ratings boards updated every couple of weeks, and uh, we'll be on ESPN Todd and I every just about every week talking about this stuff. Can't can't wait for it. Looking forward to the next big board. Looking forward to that mock draft in mid-January. Uh, Mel, really, really appreciate your time. Rich, you're the best, pal. I appreciate it, buddy. Have a great new year. And it's Twitter time, and our first question is from Alex Dimple. How much longer do you think C.J. Mosley will be on the Jets I was thrilled to see him revive his career, but I know his contract is an issue and Joe Douglas is cheap. Well, I uh, don't know if I agree with that totally, but, you know, the contract is an issue. His salary balloons to, in 2022 to $16 million. That is fully guaranteed, fully guaranteed. That was supposed to be his salary this year, but as you know, he opted out last year for COVID purposes and his contract told, so now next year, is the big hit it's a 17 and a half million dollar cap hit but next year but i don't think he's going anywhere and i think he earned another year he played well this year and they can't trade him because there isn't a team in the league who will take 16 million dollars guaranteed and they can't cut him because the cap hit would be too large so i think cj mosley will be your middle linebacker next year now while on the subject of contracts got a lot of questions about braxton barrios is heading to free agency what kind of deal would he earn so i did some checking it's really difficult to find a comp because he's a he's an interesting player. He's a slot receiver who hasn't really produced a lot until this year, uh, but yet he's a very good kickoff returner, arguably, you know, one of the better ones in the league. And so that's a tough. It's going to be an interesting s spot to see where they land on a contract. Uh, Kendrick Bourne, a slot receiver in free agency last year, had similar stats in 2020. And he got five years, fifteen million for the Patriots. So that's a, you know, uh, he got uh, three years, uh, fifteen million. So that's five million a year. I, I think you're probably looking in that neighborhood for Berrios. Now he could argue he deserves more than five and a half million a year. This year the Jets gave Keelan Cole five and a half million, and clearly Berrios was a more productive player. So very interesting negotiation coming up with Berrios at T underscore Delgado twenty four. 
What was it like for you and others in the press box to watch the Antonio Brown incident happen live? Did you even recognize what was going on? Actually, Taylor, no, I didn't see it live going on, but then I just saw a disturbance in the crowd down by the uh, Buccaneers uh, tunnel entrance. And within seconds, you know, God bless social media, within seconds it was on social media and TV was showing it. And so I was able to see it, not quite in real time, but pretty close. It kind of reminded me, and I know Jet fans will remember this, it kind of reminded me of the Santonio Holmes incident at the end of the 2011 season in Miami where he got literally thrown out of the huddle by his own teammates because he was misbehaving and and being a pain in the rear end. And he went to the sideline, and I think he probably thought about leaving in the middle of the game, but he just sat on the bench And that was kind of a crazy situation. But that was at the end of the last game of the last year. But I did have that thought go through my mind as I was watching Antonio Brown just, you know, go off there at the end, which was something I'd never seen before. Crazy, crazy stuff. At Jets, Mets for life. Early comparison of Zach versus Sam. Year one in projected ceiling. What's your opinion? And, uh, you know, I think statistically – Sam Darnold's rookie year was better than Zach Wilson's rookie year. I mean, Darnold had 17 touchdown passes. Wilson has only eight. Wilson will end up starting 13 games, which is exactly what Sam started his rookie year. Their completion percentage is about the same. The one thing I would say in Wilson's favor, I think he passes the eye test more than Darnold. Even though Darnold had better production, he also had those 15 interceptions uh, Wilson has really cut down on his interceptions. He's he's standing at 11 right now, and it's been that way for four weeks. And I don't think Wilson has had men, as, as many as those. I call him, what was he thinking interceptions? Dar- Darnold did that a lot in his career, especially as a rookie. He'd make a pass, and you'd say to yourself, what was he thinking? And so Wilson has really cut down on those. And so statistically, I'd give the edge to Darnold. But in terms of higher ceiling, I think Wilson has some better physical tools. Next question from at R. Senem. Senem. I'm sorry, I'm pronouncing it wrong. Senem 41. Uh, Did the Jets make a big push in free agency? Uh, If so, what positions do you think they target? Uh, But yeah, I do think Joe Douglas will make a couple of splashes. I think that's his. That's his thing. Two splashes. Last year was Corey Davis and Carl Lawson. This year, I think he'll make a couple of splashes. Of course, it'll be guys who are going on their second contracts. He won't spend a lot of money on 30-year-old guys. I think safety and tight end are two positions to watch. Safety, there's a, there's a few really good safeties in free agency. If they get to the open market and tight end is a big need, I think those are two areas to definitely watch. At DMoney686, do you think Zach Wilson has the authority to change the play at the line or just run whatever he's told to run? He does not have the authority to change the play. They have made that very clear to us, you know, all year when explaining the audible system. There are really no audibles in this offense. They feel that this offense is uh, equipped to give the quarterback enough flexibility to to not have to audible. So Zach Wilson cannot go to the line of scrimmage with, say, a pass play and decide, I want to run it. It's just not allowed. He does not have that flexibility. It's a very rigid offense in that respect. Now, he can go to the line with two plays, he can, as he did on Sunday with the, with the quarterback sneak or the end around. And then he, sometimes he has to make a check with me at the line of scrimmage. He'll pick out one of those plays and bark out the call 
during his uh, cadence at the line of scrimmage. But no, he does not have the uh, ability to arbitrarily change a play at the line of scrimmage. Next, from at Jets fan in Philly, Rich, do you know that the fans and the beat writers, we've had our disagreements, but I appreciate you guys criticizing the rookie coaches and quarterback mistake on his fourth and two without criticizing Zach's character. What will he need to do to shed that entitled, selfish, rich kid narrative? Well, Jets fan, I think you're referring to the postgame analysis on SNY. There was uh, some pretty stinging criticism of Wilson's character, and I disagree with that. I think, obviously, he didn't make a great decision at the line. I happen to think the coaches should bear most of the blame there because that was the situation they put him in, as we talked about earlier in the podcast. I don't think it was a case of him trying to be the star. I don't think there's a character floor. I don't think he was playing hero ball. I think he just wanted to win that game. And I think I don't think that entered his mind. I think it's unfair to criticize a guy's character based on a football decision. I mean, that's all it was, was a football decision. He saw an opening and he ran the sneak exactly the way he was instructed to do. Now, of course, we know that that shouldn't have been the call, but he did what he was told to do. I think it's fair to criticize any player, rookie, veteran, coach, anything for a mistake or a performance, everybody is fair game. And if you want to criticize Zach Wilson's interceptions or, or completion percentage, he deserves to get ripped if he's not producing. But to question a guy's character because of a quarterback sneak, I think, personally, I think that's off base. Well, this wraps up another season of Flight Deck. I really, really enjoyed it. I just want to thank uh, all our guests this year. We had some great, great guests. We uh, This was a big year for quarterbacks. Uh, we had Ken O'Brien, Josh McCown, Chad Pennington, Joe Namath, and going back to the spring, Steve Young. So it's not often you can get a couple of Hall of Famers like Joe Namath and Steve Young on. We did. We had a bunch of ex-Jets. I want to thank Marvin Jones, John Abraham, Eric Coleman, Damian Woody, and Leger Dusable. We even had a current Jet, Elijah Moore. So thanks to him. A lot of media personalities, of course, Mel Kuyper, Peter King, Janae Coakley, Bob Washusen, Mike Reese, Seth Wickersham. And we started the year with a huge Jets fan, Mike Greenberg. Of course, thanking my producer, Jeff Scopin, who did a lot of work during the course of the year. This was a tough year to cover. Let's be honest. The Jets had another losing season, double-digit losses again. But I had fun doing it, and I appreciated you guys coming along for the ride. I always try to get the interesting guests and I think that's what makes us different from other podcasts. There were a lot of other good podcasts out there on the Jets. But I don't think you guys want to hear me ramble on for 45 minutes or so. So I always like to bring in someone who has a different perspective, hopefully someone on the inside. And I think we accomplished that this year. We're getting so many great guests. I, like I said, I think that's what separates us. And also I try to bring my own analysis, whether you agree, disagree. I appreciate you listening. This is going to be a fun offseason for Jet fans. It's a huge offseason. They have two first-round picks, two second-round picks. It's really the third time in their history that they've been in this situation. And by that, I mean four picks in, like, the top 38 or 36, somewhere in that neighborhood. In 2000, in 2000 of course, they had the four number ones, so that was four in the top 27. They crushed that draft, as we all know. 1984, they had four picks in the top 39, 
they did not crush that draft. Russell Carter and Ron Farrow were first-round busts. In the second round, they got Jim Sweeney, who turned out to be a, an all-time great center and guard, a really good player. And they had tight end Glenn Dennison, who, also, who did not pan out. So they hit on only one of the four, which is a reminder. No matter how many high picks you get, there are no guarantees in this business. As Todd Bowles said a couple of years ago, and I don't often quote Todd Bowles because, frankly, he didn't have that many memorable quotes, but one of them was, you know, this is an educated crapshoot. He was referring to the draft, and that's basically what it is. And so for the Jets' sake, you hope they nail it and go four out of four and have a good draft because I think one more draft can get this team into contention. They should be in contention next year. This honeymoon, that's what this year was, was a honeymoon. It was a get acquainted. It was a learning process. It was growing pains for players and coaches. That's over. At Sunday, when that game is over in Buffalo at about 7.30, they got moved to the late game, by the way. So when that game is over around 7.30, 2021 is in the books. It's all about 2022, the offseason, the draft, about $50 million to spend in free agency. It'll probably be closer to $60 million by the time we get there. The honeymoon's over. The Jets have to contend next year. Two-year two rebuilding plans, they, they don't cut it anymore in the NFL. This year was that time. Next year, it's about being in contention all the way. I'm not saying they got to go on a run in January, but they have to be in contention for a playoff spot next year. You can't draw out this process for year after year. The Jet fans have gone through hell. It's 11 straight years out of the playoffs. It's the longest active streak in the league. It's tied for the longest active drought in franchise history. You guys deserve a good team. Hopefully, for your sake, it hasn't. It'll happen next year. We'll see. This isn't the end of Flight Deck. We'll be back as warranted. If there's big news or something juicy to talk about, we'll be back. We can put these together pretty quickly, thanks to Jeff. And something happens in the offseason, we will be back to talk about it and analyze it and break it down. In the meantime, have a great offseason. Enjoy the game on Sunday. And we'll catch you next time on Flight Deck. Flight Deck.